coming, the climate is changing. There are changes in the climate of the federal government in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, as one administration ends and another begins, thankfully. The climate is changing on Chicago's southeast side, possibly. Yet, there is still time to raise your concerns, to raise your voice in the name of neighborhoods with clean air and clean water. But act now. The times, they are a-changing, hopefully. Last year, I told you that when it comes to the environment, clean air, clean water, the wealth of health, if you want to find where the pollution can be found in a major city like Chicago, just find the places where people of color live. One of those places is the predominantly Latinx communities on the city's southeast side. Here, where the city meets the southern curb of Lake Michigan, the mission of the Southeast Environmental Task Force asks something of all of us in our update on their work. In the tradition of the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., whom we remember this month, we have a role to lift our voice on behalf of one another. More pollution assuredly may be headed to Chicago's 10th Ward if you don't raise your voice for change. Don't go in through changes. Don't mean that I change. Early this month in DC, we saw what happens when ginger snaps, when crackers jack, and when the white bread passes its expiration date. <laughs> We saw what happens when people use a violent history of America to launch a new war on behalf of white supremacy at the nation's capital. How else could you imagine people using the thin blue line, black, white, and blue American flags to savagely beat Capitol Police in an attack at the seat of democracy? This isn't justice, but it's the truth, all to prevent the inevitable cracks. The glass ceiling has been shattered by a girl who grew up in Oakland. And, you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. Madam Vice President Kamala D. Harris, the first in so many ways, but as she says, not the last. Hopefully, still, at the start of a new year, hope springs eternal. Today, we update the fight for clean air and clean water in cities with black and brown neighborhoods, Chicago, Illinois, and Flint, Michigan. The case in Chicago is that of a direct action to move a source of pollution from one community to another. The case in Flint is that of willful neglect at least, that's what former Michigan Governor Rick Snyder was charged with earlier this month. Today, we look forward to a hope of an upcoming Biden-Harris administration in relationship to the environment and climate change. I'm Valerie Johnson, and this is Interludes. Interludes a pure lighthouse production brought to you by A1 Pestmasters. For all your exterminating and pest control needs, call A1 Pestmasters. 
And now, all the way live from the south side of Chicago, give it up for your host, Valerie Johnson. While Vice President Harris is the most visible evidence of change coming with the inauguration of President Biden, there are other firsts throughout his administration, including in regard to the environment. Michael Regan, former top North Carolina regulator, has been nominated as the nation's 16th head of the Environmental Protection Agency. Regan will be the first African-American man to lead the agency. Regan's early work, likely, will be to reverse nearly everything the last administration did to prioritize business interests over those of ordinary families and communities. Reports from the Huffington Post and other media outlets describe air pollution as one of Regan's areas of expertise. Even Regan's nomination was thought to be a good omen since it X'd out another leading candidate who was deemed deficient in addressing, beginning quote, pollution in black and Latino communities, end quote. Indiana's own Janet McCabe, an environmental law and policy expert at Indiana University's McKinney School of Law in Indianapolis, will take the role of number two at the EPA. McCabe previously worked at the EPA under former President Obama. According to the Indianapolis Star, McCabe worked on Obama's clean power plan to reduce carbon emissions. How successful the Biden administration might be in combating pollution in communities of color is not just a matter of what politicians do, but what we demand them to do on our behalf. That's the macro view. For an update on a new pollution plant coming to the southeast side, Here's a conversation with Peggy Salazar, director of the Southeast Environmental Task Force. Hi, I'm Valerie Johnson, and this is Interludes. I'd like to welcome back to our show. We did a show a couple of uh, months ago on environmental racism, I, I believe just at the end of the year. And we brought on this young lady to kind of give us a, a clue in on what was happening environmentally, especially here in Chicago. Please please welcome the executive director of the Southeast Task Force, Peggy Salazar. How are you today? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you so much. And thank you for inviting me back. Uh, we always like to get the word out there because people, most people don't even know the Southeast side exists, much less what's going on in our community. Okay. Exactly. And also I'd like to introduce our executive producer and writer, Michael Womble. How are you doing? Good, good morning. Doing very well on this uh, this uh, official King holiday. So the time that we're talking in and thinking of, of someone who uh, committed his life in service to helping people and people of all different uh, races, ethnicities, uh, economic circumstances, and also uh, ventured into this area, the area that um, Salazar is working in, in um, the environment one of the uh, lesser known things that King worked on. So we're here for the update. Everybody wants to know exactly what's been going on with uh, on the Southeast side with General Irons. Are they gonna open? Aren't they gonna open? Uh, what well, do we know? Okay, here's, here's what's interesting. 
So I believe the last time I spoke to you, the uh, RMG, which is the name of the company that bought General Iron, technically, although it's more like a partnership than an actual uh, takeover, you know. Um, they basically had submitted their application for operating as a, a business scrap metal yard. And there was a deadline, there was a comment period where people could comment on the actual application. Our lawyers looked at it from a technical aspects, from social aspects. I mean, they, they really thoroughly vetted the application. It was 268 pages. So it was submitted. And then interestingly enough, the city said it was incomplete. It was de deficient. They gave them the opportunity to correct it. So the amended version has just been submitted. It's over a thousand pages. And so now we're supposed to review that in two weeks time and make comments. So seems a little suspicious and fishy to me because how do you go from 300 to a thousand pages? Plus some of the components missing were things that even I know as a, as a person who's involved in the environment somewhat, uh, are necessary for the application to be complete. Those components should have been there and they hire experts, think about that. Right. So it's just a little strange that it went from 300 to a thousand pages and we're given now a very short time to look at it again. But if people are interested, they can go to the Chicago website, City of Chicago website, look up RMG and all the information about the application as well as the application itself and where to submit their public comments. It's all there. And we would appreciate it. Even if you just go and say, look, we just don't want them moving this nasty business to the Southeast side. At least it's on the record. So if people would do that, we would highly appreciate it. Okay. Yeah, this is a technique um, um, that I recall from um, working as a, a, a daily journalist. It's called a data dump. So usually it would be the Friday right before you go into a weekend that you would suddenly get a thousand pages of something. There's no way to write about it. All you can say is they did what they were asked to do. Right. So this really sounds like the parent company is doing this to you. They, they right. Someone is doing it to us, right. right. Someone is doing it to us. And then given it, take into consideration it was the holiday, you know, the right. holiday period from Thanksgiving to to Christmas or New Year's Eve, actually, that's almost like everybody's kind of on a, operating on a different kind of schedule because, exactly. you know, it's the end of the year and there's holidays and now let's throw in the COVID situation. And so it's just a difficult time in general. And then they threw something like this at us, as well as the fact that there are other ordinances out there that are coming up and also regulations about implosions and things like that, that people may not be aware of. Uh, that we're overlooking and trying to make sure and making comments on. So all of this has been just thrown at us at once. And it's a lot to do, deal with. Uh, I would like to share a piece of art with you, though, because I think it sums up what we've been trying to say about this General Iron situation. And I think you might be able to see it. It was commissioned by Patagonia. And the artist was Sergio Massal. Can you see that? Is that showing? Oh, wow. That's wonderful. Yeah, you've got this wonderful, you got this uh, a young boy blowing a bubble. And then you have a young girl with a, uh, with a 
beyond uh not nine uh like a gas mask a little yeah bit. n95 mask on and yes. they're in the same community so you can see the difference in one side to the other right uh, so basically it's, it's two different communities yeah right, it's right. the hand you got the hancock in the background so we're looking at the north side and then clearly sadly you see the smokestacks and the debris which i would guess represents the southeast South. side mm -hmm. and what so is this spanish? i mean it's pretty beautiful. much what does the spanish mean over in the upper left hand or right hand corner what does that mean what does that say oh we want to live we want to live basically we want to, we live. want to live uh-huh and so uh it's in response to the fact that we're being polluted with uh things that are very toxic and so um and and like i said you can see uh, it's kind of hard for me to hold it still you can see the junkyard here yes pretty much that's what our area looks like pretty much that is what it looks like uh and then of course you can see the beautiful green and everything that they're doing over here and the two different experiences that the children are having with yes major impact on their life in general right right and, and, and then you see you see the moms in the background Right. moms who are masked bellies. yeah yeah so uh yeah so anyway and um, this is also on our, our facebook page so if anyone wants to take a look at it they can just kind of scroll down and there's the information about how it came okay. about and everything okay. but i think it just captures everything we've been saying for a long long time and been trying to get across to the city with the way they have you know positioned these industrial corridors so let me let me ask in terms of where you are now uh it's still there's still room in time for public comment so the as public long can as the uh, right the public comment until january 29th uh and as long as they haven't issued the permit okay, okay. they can't operate without that permit there's still a chance no matter how slim it is that we could stop this uh situation and again it's up to the mayor and she just has to tell them not to issue the permit and so we'll see where it goes from here but again even if it even if they allow it to operate we will be monitoring them we will have our air people out there checking on them we are going to make it very difficult for them as difficult as we can because this has to stop but i also wanted to update you on that the latest proposal for the newest project which we just found out about is mining they want to come and mine in the 10th ward are you all familiar with ozinga the company ozinga the, the name i am familiar with from the trucks okay. well uh, tell no us about it well they they do cement work concrete work and they want to come in and mine for limestone so we're all sitting on limestone. And I knew we were sitting on limestone because the deep tunnel also happens, just happens to go through our community also. Um, and we had done a tour of the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District a few years ago. And we went down underground where their pump room is that controls the deep tunnel. And we were surrounded by nothing but limestone. So we're walking through these caverns of limestone. It's really quite interesting. But the point is they want to come and mine it now. And so I want people to think about what do they think of when they think of mining, whether it be coal or copper or any of the elements. Okay. Very loud. Uh, loud. 
dusty. Noise, dusty. Um, Noisy. Okay. Noisy. I mean, the everything. Air, all that. Everything you don't want. Okay. And so that's the newest proposal. And of course, we're hoping that our community will gather together and say, this is insane. Enough is enough. And the way they're selling it, of course, is with jobs, right? There's always As sell always. the job. They are right. Even if even if you don't know a single person who worked on the deep tunnel, they'll still sell it with jobs. Okay, because think about that. That's heavy equipment. Uh, it's not. People aren't going to be out there like in the 1920s with an axe and a pick. They're going to be these big, you know, pieces of equipment, bulldozers, and that kind of stuff. So where? Where is this, is this going to be? Guess what? Next to RMG. We have a lot of land out here. People don't realize it. But understand that they will be mining a brownfield that's very contaminated. And it hasn't been cleaned up very toxic. And when they mine, they go underground. So they'll right. be mining horizontally as well as vertically. So they won't disturb the toxins that are on above ground level. Okay, they'll leave all that alone, but they'll be underground and they'll be pulling out the resources and they're selling it that once the mining is completed, okay, because they have to go in there and the way they mine is like they, they make these tunnels, almost like an ant farm, right? So mm -hmm. you'll have these structures that are actually natural. Limestone will be left in place like in columns to support it so that they can keep going forward and come out and go forward. They're selling the project with once the mining is complete, they will utilize that space for industrial use. So they can use it for storage. They can set up, actually they can, and they can do this. It's been done. Uh, in it's Ohio. been done? It's been done in Ohio, but they did it in an abandoned mine and somebody said, hey, it's a good idea. We should reuse that space. They weren't selling a project <laughs> with this in as the after yeah okay when you said mining to me i mean i'm thinking of something that either looks or sounds like fracking and maybe i'm in the wrong sure. direction no 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 so you're in the right realm how, it's gonna be how could that happen in a city like chicago i mean maybe nebraska or yeah. montana but it's, a very, it's very residential in the 10th ward so i'm just trying to understand like why are because the we are zoned they can do it we are the only ward that is zoned for things like mining we are zoned for hazardous waste we had this discussion before we are zoned and we have been trying to get the city oh to change that zoning it is so important and these are things that people we normally don't pay attention to right so when they announce this whole new idea of planned manufacturing districts industrial corridors essentially they did so because they wanted to capture jobs like i said in the 80s when they saw that manufacturing was moving out to the suburbs or moving out globally they were trying to capture that and so they designated these areas but they also gave them certain specific designations of what was allowable and so in our industrial quarter they allow just about anything goes kind of stuff and people didn't pay attention we weren't paying attention especially if you had the old timers who worked in the steel mills if someone said to you oh they're going to zone it for heavy industry well it's always been heavy industry 
what is it, you know, what's the difference? Not realizing that there, we should have been transitioning away from that stuff. It's not good for a community. There's a major difference between a car assembly plant and mining underground for <laughs> Yes, lines. there is. Yes, there is. Or dumping, you know, uh, garbage or transporting garbage or moving rock or storing salt or, you know, moving coal. There is a big difference. And we were hoping that we were going to move toward light manufacturing. That's what we were hoping for. But uh, again, that hasn't happened. And so instead, we're getting all these huge uh, bulk you know, storage situations, resource situations, and it's not what we want at all. It's not good for a community. And again, they're selling it by, they're gonna repurpose that shell that's left behind mm -hmm. for other purposes. But we're talking 15 years down the road, our community can't wait 15 years for right. any type of economic shot in the arm. It can't. You see what's going on in the city of Chicago now, the crime? Things are going on. People yes. need work. People need jobs. People need to be, you know, kind of recultured into, you know, we can make a living for ourselves. We can't wait 15 years for a project that's going to offer something to a community. We can't do it. There's not so, enough time. So now this is coming down the pipeline. So what can we do as residents? And um, we can look to you guys and find out where do we go to start petitioning don't even start let's just and then the other thing is um the zoning since this area 10th ward and some of the other wards are neighboring how can we change that zoning law or zoning code here in the city again we have to pressure we have to pressure i believe our aldermen first because okay. they have to go in and start asking also to things like Maurice Cox, he's Department of Planning. Okay, Department of Planning has, and also the Zoning Commission. There is a Zoning Commission. You have to start looking at that and say, hey, this is crazy. We have to re-examine what we're doing here to communities. Uh, we do want jobs, no doubt. But if you look at some of our industrial corridors that have things like catering businesses and commercial kitchens, urban gardens, we're, we're good with that stuff, okay? Like manufacturing. I would love to be able to bring back like, you know, like manufacturing. Even distribution centers, even though they offer jobs, we still have to do a balancing act there because it also means more truck traffic. So we just need to do some balancing. It's, mm -hmm. it's not to say we can't have it at all. I just say we don't want one neighborhood again to have 30 warehouses. Okay, that's exactly. not what we want. We need to balance it. What one of the more, I guess, ironic, I think this is the correct term, use of ironic here, uh, was things about uh, your work against this project, which may not still happen because we want to encourage everyone to go out and get public comment, the city of Chicago website for uh, RMG for this project to make sure their voices are heard. Uh, at the website for the city of Chicago. But one of the more ironic things I thought was the fact that incoming Democratic mayor, Lori Lightfoot, tacitly gave her approval to this. And you found an ally in the outgoing Trump administration uh, to slow down the project, to, to raise concerns um, for housing. 
in the area, at least to kind of slow it down. So what my question for you is this, as we uh, approach a new administration coming in, you know, <laughs> it's gonna happen, I'm pretty sure, cross of fingers and toes, um, that this week there'll be a new administration coming in, the Biden administration. Do you have any hope of that they may see things differently than the we're city hoping. of Chicago. Yeah. We're hoping, we're hoping. And if that's the case, what this what the city of Chicago will have to do is sit down with the community and come to some agreement about how we can change things. So we're also preparing for that. Uh, we don't want to be caught off guard. Uh, and we have prepared somewhat already because if you go to our Facebook, not I'm sorry, not our Facebook page, if you go to our website, you will find uh, some principles that we had developed a few years ago about around development and what we consider good development. And of course, we're gonna be tweaking those because we did that early on and we were very innocent of what was going, I mean, I was, like I said, I'm a resident, I am no expert, okay? I just have common sense and common decency, okay? You put those together and, you know, you should have the answers to a lot of things. Um, and so so we're also doing a, a, a tweaking of those things, but we wanna be prepared. So if we get the opportunity, we're gonna sit down and say, this is what we think our community needs. In the case, and in most cases, all communities. And so again, you can find those things on our website. And that is se taskforce.org. Se taskforce.org. Okay. All right. Well, uh, Peggy, thank you so much for the update on everything that's happening and what we can do to uh, raise our voices against us. And now, an update on Flint, Michigan, and the future of environmental protections under the Biden administration, Black Millennials for Flint Chief Advocacy Officer Michelle Mapson. I'd like to welcome back a phenomenal young lady, Chief Advocacy Officer with Black Millennials, and also um, an environmental scientist. Michelle Mapson, how are you today? Hi, I'm doing so well. Um, it's a historic day. So I'm just happy. I feel very blessed and a lot, a lot lighter now that we are minus 45 um, under our belt. So I'm feeling good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem because we've moved on to 46. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it is official. <laughs> who, who knew a number change would mean so much? So much more than it's ever meant to me. Um, you know, so here we are. <laughs> Right. And I, we brought uh, Michelle on for our environmental racism episode, which has been one of our top downloaded episodes. I want to let you know that uh, wow. in our month of December last year. Thank you so very much for, for contributing. So now we're bringing you back. The last time we spoke, you broke down the tragedy of Flint, Michigan, the yeah. water crisis. Yeah. And now, according to a recent political website article, the water in Flint is finally safe to drink, but citizens refuse to accept that message. What do you think? Yeah, you know, that's really important. Um, the message of safe and drinkable. Um, so mm -hmm. one thing to keep in mind is that based on federal regulations, what would be considered safe is not as a, a number of zero, which would be no lead in the water. 
Um, safe actually, unfortunately, means that there is a there's still some lead that may be present, but um, you know it's below a federal limit. And so I completely understand for many residents that there's still mistrust because they cannot afford health wise um, to have any level of lead that might be present in their water system. Um, and then right. the other the other thing would be to make sure that there is no that that's a consistent safe level, right? That there's no um, acute events where additional lead can be lodged into the system. And so truly the only way to achieve that is to completely replace every single lead pipe in the city. And that has not been done. So we cannot um, publicly, and I would say really from any scientific um, rationale say that the water is safe. Right. And I, that would lead to people being skeptical because they live there. They would know if the pipes have been changed. Absolutely. And they have not. Right. They're actually behind as far as um, the, the rate at which the pipes should have been replaced by now. So we are not we're not quite out the clear just yet. Right. And the former Michigan governor, Rick Snyder, is back in the news. Mm -hmm. uh, and right now he's he's saying he's not guilty. What do, what do you think? Well, I think right now we're seeing um, yet another episode of criminal charges being brought. Um, folks may remember that while Snyder was still in office um, just a couple of years ago, he was also charged. At the, um, the idea of being charged at the time was brought up, but not followed through on because at that time, the state believed that there was not enough evidence. Um, we have since had a change over from a Republican governor, Rick Snyder, to um, a, a Democratic governor, which also means that the attorney, um, the state attorney's office is completely changed over. They've been re-looking at the case and feel that they've had enough evidence to bring criminal charges back to light. And so Rick Snyder has been charged. He has pled not guilty um, on two counts of willful neglect, which are fairly um, small charges, if you will, in the grand scheme of what could possibly be charged down the road. But I think it's really interesting and important that we're tracking this because we'll be seeing likely um, the potential for additional charges as the evidence is reviewed. Now that the state has gotten the green light by this grand jury to actually move forward with the, you know, if they've done the indictment, they can move forward with the investigation. I do believe we'll see more information come to light that could potentially lead to additional charges. Um, but this is just sort of the low hanging fruit to get us started. And I do think that the state is on the right track by doing that and finally uh, seeking justice for people in Flint. Wonderful. Yeah. And, and as we were talking about just before uh, we started officially the interview, it's uh, ironically January 20th. Mm -hmm. We are in inauguration time as we welcome a new president and a new vice president this week. Should we be hopeful about the improvements to the environment under the Biden administration? Yeah, I mean, this is really a historic moment um, and it's a glorious day. And I think that we are we should be hopeful for what's to come, especially regarding um, environmental regulations and protections. Um, people should understand that under the last four years in the, the Trump administration, over 130 environmental protections and um, laws have been rolled back, which means that they were either um, taken off the books and rescinded and or or weakened so that they're not protecting people in the way that they should. Um, and wow. so that is a tall order for a Biden administration to address um, really those rollbacks first, right? So, so, so being able to re remedy 
um, what was done, um, kind of clean up the mess and the muck that was made by this last administration, and then to move forward with what I think is a very bold and aggressive um, agenda, maybe one of the boldest we've seen out of a president in our history. Um, for the type of money that will be injected into our economy to do the kind of work that's needed on our infrastructure, you know, that that water infrastructure that failed in Flint, but that is failing right. other communities like in North New Jersey and Baltimore and so many other places that are suffering from um, water issues. There's money that he's going to be making available there jobs that should be created because of the kind of infrastructure needs. We can't do this with robots. We need actual people who are going to be able to go in and make the kind of improvements we need. So those are good union paying jobs. And then I think the the idea that we need safe drinking water and clean air, that's something that this administration plans to champion. And so far, I think they have put some of the right people in place, at least those who are proposed at the highest level of government to make that happen. So I'm hopeful. Wonderful. What do you expect may be the emphasis of the, the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, under the Biden in comparison to like the last president? You kind of speak, spoke to some of that, but what do you think would be the emphasis of the EPA this time? Yeah, well, the good thing is you won't have to start from scratch. Um, given that the previous administration before the Trump administration was Obama and um, Obama's EPA was pretty um, bold and aggressive as well. Um, that is when we joined the Paris Climate Accord and Agreement. Um, we were making strides with regulating power plants, um, some of our dirtiest energy sources in our country, regulating fossil fuel industries, um, seeking stronger fuel economy standards for our vehicles. And I think that because Biden, of course, served as vice president at that time, um, he has a lot of knowledge and experience to bring to the table um, so that we'll be able to kind of not only, you know, try and clean up the mess that was made in the last administration, but pick up where we left off and do bolder, more aggressive things um, in the coming administration. So I think we'll likely see, um, in addition to us, you know, re rejoining the Paris Climate Accord and Agreement, which is a really important international step to show our allies that we're committed to addressing climate change. Um, I would anticipate we're also going to see um, us re-looking at things like the Clean Power Plan, which is what, again, would have regulated power plants um, and cleaning up some of the dirtiest emitters in our country on air pollution. I think we'll we, that was rolled back completely under Trump, and we're going to see us. I think we'll see that we'll we'll try and make some strides there um, in the courts, but also likely with federal regulations. Um, I think we're going to again see clean water um, to communities directly impacted. So prioritizing um, what I don't love the term disadvantaged communities. But if it allows yeah. us to be able to identify and prioritize communities in need today, then we, we, we can use the term. So that idea that there are communities that are suffering more than others who need those right. kind of protections as soon as possible, the administration seems to be committed to prioritizing those places first. And um, I, would, I think that's something we're going to have to see um, within the first hundred days and certainly within the first year, um, given the the fact that people have been living with weaker protections for at least four years now. Right, exactly. As a D.C. resident, this isn't your first inauguration, right? It is not. Um, in fact, I will say that as a proud graduate of Howard University and a member of the Showtime Marching Band, I had the esteemed pleasure and opportunity to serve and to march in the inaugural parade back in 2009. So you'll remember that was January, just uh, 12 short years ago. 
Um, I still remember <laughs> marching past as being both um, Michelle Obama. I remember her like kind of goldish dress that she wore um, during that inauguration. And it was a beautiful, beautiful moment um, marching with my fellow bison and getting to participate in that parade as um, fellow students will be doing today. They will be escorting um, Vice President Kamala Harris um, around 3 p.m. today um, in, the, in a, a, a smaller parade, much smaller than what we had back in 09, but um, certainly historic nonetheless. So I'm really, and then DC, I'm safe and sound um, given everything that's happening downtown. Um, mm -hmm. But I am also just really excited and happy for the folks who get to participate in today's events. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I actually attended the inauguration in 2013. Yeah. For the second term of Obama. And that, that was a really thrilling time for myself and my family yeah. that, uh, that attended with me. So I, I, I really had a good time. Michelle Mapson, thank you so very much for joining me and giving us an update on what's been happening. Absolutely. And let's stay tuned. I think we're going to see a lot more to come um, with these charges. Folks are going to be combing over millions of pages, literally millions of pages of documents and recordings and such um, to really figure out and make the case against um, the governor and other of his counterparts. So I think this is just the beginning. I hope to be able to keep this conversation going as this issue evolves. So thanks for having me. Expect to hear more from Jennifer Lopez, a.k.a. J-Lo, when Joseph R. Biden is inaugurated. In terms of celebrities, the ceremony will start with Lady Gaga belting out the national anthem. J-Lo will entertain as a part of an official and free musical performance. Later that same day, on January 20th, singers John Legend, Garth Brooks, Demi Lovato, Foo Fighters, Justin Timberlake with Aunt Clemens, Bruce Springsteen, and John Bon Jovi will perform on network channels in person and virtually. So, where are the sisters at? Barack had Aretha, Beyonce, and J-Hud, a.k.a. Jennifer Hudson. Uh, J-Lo is no J-Hud. Given everything we know about how Biden was elected, off the strength of black women voters, I gotta ask, who put this lineup together? Carson Daly? Carson Daly's mom? Where's the soul? The R or the B? Yeah, cause um, this ain't it. I don't know. Maybe those of us old enough to remember who were spoiled by the Obamas inaugurals and rightfully uninterested in Trump's love fest of D-list stars, Lee Grinwood and Three Doors Down. If Biden wanted to build better back he could have started by setting up a better celebration. I don't know, maybe it's the coronavirus keeping these people away, but here's who I would have asked to perform at the inauguration. My top five for the big day. Number five, Bruno Mars, because you need to have a whole country celebrating from Harlem to Hollywood to Jackson, Mississippi. If he shows up, we show up. Smoother than a fresh job, skipping. Number four, her. Because how are you going to have a celebrity show without her? She can sing. She can play guitar. What else can she do? Uh, well, you know, my number three is Jill Scott. <laughs> That's right. Jilly from Philly, y'all. 
Didn't PA put you over the top in the electoral votes? Hello. Number two, John Legend. Well, check. He's there. The 2019 Sexiest Man Alive will perform to the delight of more than Instagram queen Christy Teigen. Early in the political process, John was a vocal supporter of Senator Elizabeth Warren. It's okay. We're all just ordinary people. And number one, the top performer who should be singing at the inaugural is Miss High Boot Steppin', Queen of Hip Hop Soul, Monet Day, Queen of Saying Her Own Name and Songs, Miss Mary J. Blige, who just crossed the 50-year mark this month. Mary J. Blige is number one for me because, you know what, I love her just as much as Vice President Harris, who high-stepped it out to give her speech just weeks ago to work that. Today, we say goodbye as we listen to the Vice President's song. I've got my my playlist, you know, I love some Mary J. Blige. If you're listening in Chicago, you can raise your voice against plans to potentially bring more pollution to the southeast side. Google keywords RMG expansion on the southeast side to reach the city's official page. There you will find more information to comment for or against the project. The deadline for comments has been extended to January 29th. For more information about the Southeast Environmental Task Force, check out their website at www.setaskforce.org. For more information about the larger national fight, go to blackmillennialsforflint.org. Links for both groups can be found in the description of the podcast. On the next interludes, new music for you from an array of artists. We celebrate local and independent music next week. Interludes, original concept by Valerie Johnson, written by Michael Womble, produced by Valerie Johnson and Michael Womble. Original intro and outro produced by Kendall Nesbitt. Interludes, a pure lighthouse production, brought to you by A1 Pestmasters. For all your exterminating and pest control needs, call A1 Pestmasters at area code 773-365-9962 or visit their website at a1pestmasters.com. When you book your appointment with A1 Pestmasters, Tell them that you heard it first on the podcast called Interludes. (laughs) 